like to open with a question this morning. As I've mentioned before, I, I commonly do that. Sometimes it's more obvious than others, but I, I like to open with questions. What do you need right now? What do you, what do you need? Think about that one for just a minute. What is it that you need? I wrote down a list of some possible answers. You might need a job. You might need more money. Success. A new friend or an old friend. A car. Status. Health. Peace. A home. Happiness. Relief from addiction. I wrote that down before the request this morning. You might need time. The list could go on. I think in reality, if we really stop and consider, at least in this country, almost all of us would have to admit that anything we put on that list is probably better equated to something we would like rather than really need. And there's a difference between things that we need and things that we would like. And just to bring this into clarity, about one-third of the world earns about $2 a day. Compare that to whatever salary you might have. And the world average income is $18,000 a year. And I'm pretty sure that includes like the high end of the scale. So that's probably a pretty high average. So when you think about the things that we have in this country, we realize that we have a lot. And we may have things that we want, but many of us don't have things that we truly necessarily need. We're a very self-dependent and independent country and culture. To such a degree that because of the great things that we have and the few legitimate needs that we have, I think it's very easy for us to say or at least act like we don't even need the Lord sometimes. And if we were to list out the things that I asked you this morning, what my question is, what do you need? I would wager to guess, and even if you asked me randomly like I did you, needing the Lord would probably be like either not on the list or down near the bottom. So there's two ways to look at this. There are things that we need physically, but there's also a need that we have spiritually. And those are two very different things. And I'd like to talk about both of them today for just a minute. As I mentioned, most of us have very little need of a lot of things physically. But what's interesting in this country is I think although most of us don't have a need for many of the things that I listed, it seems to be that those perceived needs, those reality wants, take up most of our time. You understand what I'm saying? We don't really need as much as we think. We want a lot more. But those wants and the perceived needs tend to take up a huge amount of our time and our effort in life. It's imbalanced. And I wonder sometimes if that 
impacts the ability of us to focus on things spiritually. So I want to read Matthew 6, beginning with verse 25. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 25. This is likely a familiar passage to you. Christ is preaching. In Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? And why, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And the emphasis I'd like to place on this passage is, but, um, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, the things that we need, the physical things to sustain us. But Christ is reminding us that even though we need all of these things, our primary focus isn't to be on our physical needs, but is to be on our spiritual need. So we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God is a spiritual place at the moment. It is the spirit of God that lives inside of us, that dwells in us. And our first priority should be seeking that kingdom first. And all these other needs get added later on. And so we see that we're to seek the kingdom and these other things are added later. And I will admit this is very easy to say, especially in our culture and our, our time when we're fairly well satisfied with most of our worldly needs. Let me read a couple of other verses. Philippians 4, 19 through 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Earlier in that same chapter, it says, um, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, the first few verses, as opposed to that last one, is what you will not hear at churches that preach what we call the prosperity gospel. 
What I am not telling you today is that by seeking God's kingdom first, you will receive the spiritual things that you need and then everything else that you want. See, there is a key and important distinguishing difference there between receiving the things that we actually need and the things that we actually want. And Paul is reminding us from his own life experience that sometimes he had more than he needed and sometimes he didn't have enough. And either way, he was content and satisfied with what God was willing to provide for him. And his goal was to focus on the prize of knowing Jesus Christ. So I'm not teaching or preaching that all you have to do is love the Lord and you'll get everything that you want. There are many, many Christians who place their faith in the Lord and around the world have starved. There's many, many people around the world who place their faith in the Lord and have their home destroyed in a natural disaster or by a war. So what am I possibly saying? What I am trying to say and to remind myself as much as hopefully put you into remembrance is that the things of this world that we so desperately think that we need, we really don't. We need him spiritually. So I don't want to downplay the fact that there are brothers and sisters who need things. And when possible, we should provide for them. We did that yesterday, didn't we? We provided to those who had a physical need. But we also provided a spiritual need, or at least an opportunity to hear the spiritual need. Now let me back up for just a minute. This may seem confusing. I hope you'll follow with me for a minute. When we have physical, actual needs, whether we deal with a pain, a physical injury, a hunger, and we don't have proper shelter, food, water, clothing, etc. I think sometimes this brings into sharp focus the need that we actually have spiritually. Which is why if you look where the gospel is spreading the fastest around the world, it is often in the very poorest countries. Because they don't have all this stuff that clouds around them and leads them into a false sense of security, which is what we have here and in many countries around the world. Well, what do I possibly need Jesus for? I have everything that I need. Hmm. Our physical needs help us to see the spiritual needs. This is why young people listen to me. And those who have a few years on me are going to laugh and make fun of me when I say this. It is important sometimes to deny yourself of something that you want. It's easy for me at about 40 to tell my kids, well, I had to wait for the next TV program to come on instead of just hitting a button and instantly getting the video that I want. Right? Or I had to wait to get home to find out on the answering machine, on that little tiny cassette tape, who left me a message that told me about the get-together that I missed two hours ago because I didn't come home to answer the phone. And this is where I say some of the older ones will laugh because my comparison is nothing compared to yours. 
But the key to this, and I think is appropriate, and this is just a little side mini thought here, we should practice denying ourselves certain things. This is why it is healthy to fast, to deny yourself something, because it brings into sharp focus the spiritual need that we actually have when we step back from what we do in our culture, which is just gorge ourselves on things. And I'm not just talking about food. Does that make sense? We, we need to experience a want so that we can have clarity to see the need that we have for spiritual things. Now, ask the question, what do you need? And let's look at it spiritually. Some of you, if you think about it spiritually, when I ask, what do we need? You may say, well, I need more love. I need joy or peace or patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness. And I would agree we all need those things and probably more of them. Some may have said, and I'll confess even a few weeks ago when this sermon began to boil within me, this was where I was thinking. Some may say, I need more of him. But I don't know that that's quite correct. And I've been contemplating this and praying on this and considering this for several weeks now. I don't know that it's necessarily that we need more of him. Because those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who have placed our faith in him, already have him living inside of us. And so to say that we need more of him, I think somehow unintentionally implies that we don't have him. And I think that comes from a state of filling our lives with the physical things that we think we need. Let me read John 14, 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give to you a helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So if you've ever said or ever thought, I need more Jesus in my life. The reality is the spirit of God, co-equal with God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. One part of the Trinity dwells inside of you. And if you are at a point where you think you need more of the spirit dwelling in you, then maybe you have a sin in your life that's blocking him from having his way with you. If you've been saved, the spirit dwells inside of you. And in a sense, you can have more of the spirit because there is a, an example in the Bible that talks about um, being filled with the spirit. And that seems to be distinct from having the spirit dwelling inside of your life. We are encouraged to do this, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. You have to want to be filled with the spirit. And what that means is you have to set aside all the things that you want more of in your life physically and desire the one thing that only matters, and that is spiritually to have God in your life. We should desire to be so completely filled by the Holy Spirit that he can possess us fully and in that sense, fill us. But as I mentioned, we have to 
want that. You could say we have to need that. So here's the focus of the question and answer that I have for you today. It comes from a song I'd listened to multiple times, and then a few, about a month ago, this line popped out at me. It's in there once. A song by David Crowder. Just in the middle of this song, it says, listen, what I need is to want to need him more. What I need is to want to need him more. It's not a matter of the fact that I don't have enough of the spirit, that somehow God gave me, he filled me up 25% and I got to find the rest of the 75% of the spirit to be inside of me. It's a matter of what is my desire in my life? What is my priority? Do I desire, do I need to need him more? Or am I satisfied with where I'm at spiritually? And so I'm going to say I'm good here and I'm going to now focus on the needs that I have in my physical life. And I will confess that you are probably like me and throughout our entire lives we'll vacillate back and forth with that. In fact, maybe on a daily occurrence, I often find myself going to bed, replaying the things of the day and thinking I need to wake up tomorrow and I, I need to need him more. And I wake up and my feet hit the floor and all of a sudden, all I really need is more physical things. With all the physical blessings that we have, I think sometimes we have an actual need spiritually. We, we forget that we need to need him more. We need to want him. And there is a difference. He already has all of us, if you've been saved. He's already living inside of you. His desire is for you to need him. But somehow we're satisfied with what we have, and we go on about our lives. James 4.8 says, Draw near to me, I'm sorry, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, this can be applied to the concept, and often is, of salvation, right? That we need to draw after Him. We need to seek Him out. But in reality, it works just as well for those of us who claim to know Him and have the Spirit dwelling inside of us, that we should draw near to God. And in that process, we cleanse our hands, as in we set aside the sin, we set aside the physical needs that we focus on, and we begin to need to want and need Him more. Begin to seek him. Jeremiah 29 and 12 through 14 says this. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. And so the Bible is very clear. If we were to truly need God. And to truly seek after him, he is there willing to be found. He's not hiding from us. He's not trying to make this difficult from us. But we collect things and activities and titles and all these things in our physical life. And I think it keeps us from truly realizing just how much we really need him. And maybe now I'll 
remind us of the exploding growth of the gospel in so many countries where they don't have any of these physical, material titles, etc., to get in the way. They know what they need, and they know that they need the Lord. And we pile so much stuff that we can't hear or see it. So I've mentioned the term seek a couple of times, and I want to read a few verses in a different translation. The Amplified Bible, I've read from it before. On occasion I point it out, on occasion I don't. But I want to point it out today because I think it has some instruction for us. So the Amplified version of the Scriptures will often have a set of words in a bracket. And this is the translator's attempt to say that this single word or phrase in the original Hebrew or Greek is perhaps better expressed in a different way. And so they wanted to be careful not to change Scripture, but to help us to understand it. So think of this, and I'll I'll call out audibly when I read, I'll say bracket, in bracket. And in there is text that isn't necessarily written that way in the Scripture, but the translators believe it's what's implied. Does that make sense? It's kind of like reading uh, with a built-in dictionary as you go along. And so sometimes it provides clarity in an interesting way that other translations don't. So let me read you Psalm 24 and 6. This one doesn't have uh, the brackets, but let me read it to you. Psalm 24 and 6. This is the generation of those who diligently seek him and require him as their greatest need, who seek your face even as did Jacob. This is the generation of those who diligently seek him and require him as their greatest need. What's your greatest need? If it's anything other than him, it's wrong. That hurt anybody else? If your greatest need in life is anything other than him then you are incorrect. Because as the New Testament says, as Jesus Christ himself says, seek you first the kingdom of God and everything else comes next. We seek everything else and try to tag along a little bit of the kingdom. We get it backwards. The psalmist reminds us of this. Psalms 27 and 8. When you said, seek my face, and here's the bracket, in prayer, require my presence as your greatest need, in bracket, my heart said to you, your face, O God, I will seek. And so the translators are trying to point out that when we are seeking his face, their view is we seek his face in prayer, requiring my presence as your greatest need. My is in the Lord's presence. Your greatest need is to require the Lord. Psalm 69 and 32 is very similar. The humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, bracketed, requiring him as your greatest need, in bracket, let your heart revive and live. One more example. Amos 5, 6. Seek the Lord, bracket, search diligently for him, and long for him as your most essential need, in bracket, 
so that you may live. This one comes with a warning. Or he will rush down like a devouring fire. And so we see, I think clearly, when we're talking about seeking the Lord, and there's a lot of verses that talk about seeking the Lord, we only seek for things that we want a lot. I'm not talking about just playing a child's game of like hide and seek. If you really lost something important, would you give up looking for it? No, you'd look everywhere for it. Think about the story of the woman who lost the coin and swept everywhere to find it until she found it. And so we are, yes, absolutely talking about salvation. If you are here today and know that you do not know the Lord, then your single priority in life ought to be a realization of that need and seeking after him. Never giving up until you receive the forgiveness that you have put your faith in him. Until he tells you and places his spirit to indwell in you, And as the scripture told us that I read, you know it is the spirit because you know the spirit because you are a new creature when you are saved. Until that occurs, it should be your single soul, time, body consuming effort to realize that you need the Lord. That's it. Now, after you are saved, after you have received that forgiveness, that actually doesn't change. Only slightly. Because now you have the Spirit to guide you. Now you have what God has wanted to give you, which is forgiveness. He now dwells inside of you. And your single, single, overwhelming desire should be to need Him more. Not to need more money. Not to need more status. A nicer house. A bigger car. Whatever. But to need Him. Does this apply to us today? Oh, I think so. Turn with me to Revelation. Chapter 3, verse 15. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. We hear a very concerning story about a church. Several churches mentioned in the book of Revelation, and one in particular, Laodicea. If I was to ask this church, the Laodicean church, this question, what do you need? They would have said, well, nothing. Let me read, starting at verse 15. This is what Christ is speaking here. I know your works. You were neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and either hot, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, a lot of messages will stop there and focus on this lukewarmness. And that's a long and valid thing to look at. There's even archaeological reasons for why the water there was lukewarm and no one liked it and on and on and on. But we often miss the following sentence. Catch this. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He is not talking to the unsaved. He is talking to those who are saved members in a church who think they don't need anything because they're wealthy and they have it all. 
And no matter how much money you have in our society today, you compare this to the rest of the world, and we are wealthy beyond belief. And if we, as a church today, take up the attitude that we don't need anything, we have everything that we possibly could need. Now, we might want a few things, but we don't need anything. And we miss the fact that we need the Lord in our lives, that we need to need the Lord more, then we end up the ones who are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I don't want to be those things. I don't think you do either. We need to recognize that we need the Lord, that we need to need him, that we have to have him in our lives, that it has to be the primary focus of who and what we do. One more example. Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Paul understood this. I'm going to use, I'm going to use the Apostle Paul as an example. I'm going to read the whole chapter of Philippians 3, so bear with me for just a minute. Because I think the whole chapter has context that is important. Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilize the flesh. For we are the circumcised who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it, my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature 
think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have been trained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ." Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we, wait, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. In the first verse of the following chapter, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Wow. This is deep and hits us on all sides when we read the whole chapter in context with, I hope, what I have already said in the verses that I have read. It reminds us that we as Christians, regardless of what things we have attained physically, must press on toward the mark. I don't know if anybody's watched the Olympics in this last week, but you watch them run. And what is the last thing they do before they cross that finish line? They thrust their chest forward because it makes a difference. We are running a race. We must want to win, not because of our own glory, but because of him. Not through our own strength, but because of the strength that he provides us. And when we do not do that, when we do not imitate Paul and others, as he said, who do this well, we have a real problem. We have to press on. He said, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Could the Spirit of God indwell you and you walk as an enemy? I think so. Now listen to what I said. When you are saved, you are forgiven for all time. No sin you're going to do in the future is going to remove you from the Lamb's book of life that I read when we started church today. However, if you are not pursuing God, if you are not wanting Him more, you may walk in this world and be an enemy to those who are around you. How does that happen? Oh, gossiping, backbiting, lying about another, cheating, not living a life honorable of a Christian, or maybe just not desiring to have more of God. This is a serious concern. Their end is their destruction. Their God is actually their belly and their glory and their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Where have we set our minds? Where have we set the things that we need? That I might know him. Paul says that, and he actually saw Jesus Christ. Paul says that, 
And we've gone over all the things he went through, all the missionary journeys, all the beatings, all the times the Spirit guided him to go one direction or another. And he is still near the end of his life saying that I might know him more. Paul understood that when you are saved, it is only the beginning of your relationship with God. And we must spend our entire life wanting more. I may have read this quote before, but I'm going to read it again. I heard it probably 10 years ago, and it still echoes in my mind over and over again. It's by a preacher called A.W. Tozer. And he says this, Paul was a seeker and a finder and a seeker still. They, talking about us, seek and find and seek no more. After, quote, accepting Christ, they tend to substitute logic for life and doctrine for experience. Do you still seek God? Or did you find him once and you haven't pursued him since? It's a very serious question. The point that this brother is trying to to make, Paul was a seeker, he found God, and he continued for the rest of his life to seek after him because Paul knew that the purpose in life was to want to want him more. Oh, he struggled with it. That's why he says, I want to do one thing in my mind, but I do something else in my body. He struggled with it, but he knew it was a, a continual thing. I've added to his quote with this last line. So let me read the first part, and I'll read you the part I added. You can come tell me later. It's not as good. Paul was a seeker and a finder and a seeker still. They seek and find and seek no more. After accepting Christ, they tend to substitute logic for life Doctrine for experience. We substitute comfort for the pursuit of him. Get very comfortable with all the things that we have and see no need to pursue him. What I need in my life and what I'm convinced most of us need is to want to need him more. The Spirit is indwelling within me, but I don't always want to need it. And until I want to need it, I let everything else get in my way. And so the question I think is very simple. It's twofold as it normally is when we close. Have you ever been saved? If the answer is no, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of your sins, then you had better want to need him really bad. Your eternal life depends on it. Scripture is very clear. If you have been saved, then we need to continue seeking him. We need to need him. We need to stop relying on ourselves. And, and I'll, I'll close with this. I told you I read a different translation. Let me read those three things again. Seek my face in prayer. Require my presence as your greatest need. You who seek God, require him as your greatest need. 
And the last one is seek the Lord, search diligently for him and long for him as your most essential need. And so those of us who have sought Christ and found him, are we diligently continuing to seek him as our greatest need? Or did we get just enough to be satisfied and change our focus to the needs we have in this world? Because when we come to the end, no one in here is going to regret they didn't make the position, make this thing. But you might just regret that you didn't live your life for the Lord. You may still be in heaven, but you may regret a large part of your life. And so I invite you to consider today, what do you need? Will you join me in saying, I need to need him more? Or will we just continue to be satisfied with the worldly possessions that we have? And maybe at some point those worldly possessions take over to such a degree that I'm actually counterproductive for the gospel. We need to be careful that we're not like the church who said, well, I have everything I need. But in reality, it was poor and naked. We need to be more like Paul. We need to seek, we need to find, and spend the rest of our life seeking to know him more. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, I pray that this was clear. Lord, regardless of whether it was clear or not, Lord, I pray that you would use it. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to our lives our true intent, our true desires, our true heart. Lord, that you would help us to recognize and to need to need you in our life. Lord, that we would desire you. Lord, that we would run the race. Lord, that we would fight the good fight. All of these are ways that you have described to us how we should live our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do this more. Lord, I believe you know this is not a, a critical message. This is not a, uh, a finger waving at anyone or the church as a whole. But Lord, it is just this. If we think we need you now, help us to know that we need you more. Because we can live our entire lives and never truly fully come into that perfect relationship with you. That only happens after. There is never an arrival point this side of heaven where we've mastered everything. And we can sit down and say, I've finished the race. I've fought the fight. But Lord, it is always something that is unfolding before us until you take the last breath from us, and we stand before you. Help us not to waste the life that you have given. Help us to need you. And Lord, I pray for those who are listening to my voice, those who know, those who have known by your Spirit's conviction that they are separated from you, that they do not know you. I pray that you would help them to need you. I pray that you would reveal to their hearts and their minds and their soul and their very spirit, Lord, the desperate situation that they are in. Or that they might seek you. That they might try to find you with all that they have. 
because you are worth it and because you are seeking us. If we would just come to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be in this space as we sing a hymn, as we reflect on what we need and maybe what we don't need, as we reflect on whether we really even feel like we need you. Lord, I would suspect, and because I, I know I've been there at times, I would just be empty and blank. I, I don't even know that I need to need you. Lord, if there are some who feel that way, I pray that you would help us. This is a hard spot to be in, one of being cold and distant. And I pray that you would work in their lives, draw them to you, help them to get over this hurdle, Lord, to need you. And Lord, I know that you're there desperately wanting us. So Lord, I pray that you'd be in us, move among us, and help us to know what we should do. In your name we pray.